Well, good morning and welcome to Friends Church. It's good to see you here. And of course, you know what today is, right? Super Bowl 53. Super Bowl 53. The Cleve, no, no, that's, that was a prophetic utterance almost there, hopefully in the future. But uh, Super Bowl 53 is going to be in Atlanta, Georgia. And of course, it's going to be between the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams, right? And so there, of course, a lot of partying going on. And you, this week, you maybe have been preparing for that and the various foods that are being shown here, uh, you know, maybe part of the healthy diet that you've prepared. And hopefully you've already got that ready to go. And uh, of course, Super Bowl is here. Now, this is Super Bowl 53, but it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago on a Saturday, the last Saturday in January, the day before Super Bowl 33. Super Bowl 33 was in Miami, Florida. And it was Saturday morning and the Denver Broncos were playing the Atlanta Falcons. The day before Saturday morning was a breakfast, a breakfast that was sponsored by the NFL. But actually one of the awards given out at this breakfast is an award that is given out by the Athletes in Action, which is the sports arm of Crew Ministries. And it's called the Bart Starr Award. And the Bart Starr Award is given to an NFL athlete of high moral character. And this year, the recipient of that award in 1999 was Atlanta Falcon defensive back Eugene Robinson. Now, Eugene Robinson was known for his strong Christian witness. He was uh, very involved in his community and he was known for his devotion to his family, which made it all the more shocking when later that night, just hours after receiving this Bart Starr Award for high moral character, and hours before playing in Super Bowl 33, Eugene Robinson was arrested by Miami police, undercover cops for soliciting prostitution. He tells the story of being arrested, booked, released. He was brought back to his hotel, and he talks about spending the night sobbing uncontrollably. He got up in the morning and he played the game. They allowed him to play. He did not play very well. In fact, John Elway burnt him with an 80-yard touchdown pass, and, and um, the Falcons pretty much got their lunch handed to him that day, and Denver went on to win their second of back-to-back -back Super Bowls. And after the game, Eugene Robinson got in front of the cameras, and he said this. He said, I apologize to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to my wife, to my kids, to the NFL, and he said, confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're like me, if you were there now or maybe even then or maybe even now and you had a chance to speak with Eugene, I guess the one question that would come to my mind is, Eugene, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And then probably as those words would come out, I would start to think about the times in my own life. The times where temptation was coming upon me. 
And I was faced with that clear decision to sin or not to sin. And yet willfully, knowingly, chose to sin. And that happens. We know that happens in our lives. We don't want to do it. And at times afterwards, you may say, what was I thinking? And yet it happens. That's why it's important that we look at this scripture on the temptations of Jesus. James 1.12 says, blessed is anyone who endures temptation. And so how do we go about enduring temptation? And what can we learn from this passage of scripture that we find in the Bible? One of this famous story known as the temptation of Jesus Christ. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be following what it is and how we can avoid the trap that Eugene came into and so many people come into in our daily walk in our lives. And before we get into temptation, though, I think it would be good just to back up just a hair. In fact, we are in Matthew chapter 4 is what Pastor Eric read to us. But in those few verses before Matthew 4 is, is a story also that really goes right into Matthew chapter 4, and it's called the baptism of Jesus. In fact, what we find out at the end of Matthew chapter 3, that Jesus and his cousin, John the baptizer, find themselves really together down in the Jordan Valley, having this discussion on who should baptize whom. <laughs> and uh, after a while, John relents and he baptizes his cousin, Jesus. And at the end of chapter 3, the last two verses, after Jesus has been baptized, we read these words. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. Wow. What an experience. What a mountaintop experience. To be there, to see heaven open, to, to see the Spirit of God come down as a dove. To hear those words, this is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. What a mountaintop experience. This would, this would be a thousand, thousand, thousand times bigger than winning the Bart Starr Award. <laughs> this, is, this is the culmination of God saying, this is my son. I'm giving him his identity. I'm confirming his identity. And I'm confirming how, what his relationship is with me and that I love him and that he pleases me. And so he goes on and it's, and it's this, this, this wonderful experience. But the very first word of the very next verse, chapter four, verse one says, then. It says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This, this word led means actually pulled along to be, to be, to be brought with. And so the, the Spirit of God, who's just descended on Jesus, takes Jesus and he leads him, much as he would for the rest of his earthly life. For the rest of his earthly life, Jesus would do what God wanted. He would go where God told him to go. He was, he was doing his Father's will. 
And so the Spirit leads him, but he doesn't lead him to, to the crowds to preach, to bring great revivals. He leads him into the wilderness, a wild place. This is not your grandfather's wilderness. <laughs> it's been about a year since we were in Israel and we saw this wilderness. It's, 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 it's barren. It's, it's lonely. It's a wild place. It's a dangerous place. It's rocky. It's hilly. It's not, it's not just a desert of sand, but it's a difficult place, a place you can't last real long out on your own. He brings him here to be tempted. God does not tempt, but he placed Jesus in a place where he would be tempted. In fact, the better word maybe for that Greek word tempted is to be tested. This is the point where Jesus' metal would be tested. Do you have what it takes? It's a desolate place. It's a wild place. And then verse 2 says, in addition, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, I would be too. <laughs> Jesus' humanness shows up here, and we can, maybe we can't even imagine a 40-day and 40-night fast. But, that's, but we know what it's like to be hungry, don't we? I had to confess, it didn't happen this service, but in the first service, I'm, I've been reading this and thinking about being hungry, and Pastor Eric is praying before I get up there, and my stomach starts growling. <laughs> it just, it starts growling. I know it happens in church sometimes, you know, we're trying to hide it, you know, so people don't hear our stomach growling. It's a natural thing. It's an appetite that God gave us. God gives us these appetites and desires to remind us that I need to eat. He gives us a, an appetite of, of thirst, to remind us we need to drink. He gives us this, 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 this appetite or this need of, uh, you know, we, we notice at night our, our eyes get a little heavy <laughs> and we start to yawn. It reminds us that we need some sleep. If we didn't have these appetites, if we didn't have these desires, who knows what we'd be like. If we had to be reminded that we needed to drink water, Oh, wow, it's, it's been three days since I've had a drink of water. <laughs> you know, I, I need to do that for my body. Or, wow, it's been, it's been six days since I've eaten. My body's going to start to fall apart. I need to eat. Imagine, imagine if the world, the, the, the population crisis we might have, if people needed to be reminded to have sex, to have children. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to do that to have children. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we have these natural desires and appetites, God-given God-given drives that are there for us, but they also can get us into big trouble. And here, Jesus is being faced with the need, the meeting of an appetite. He's hungry. He's hungry. I don't know what you do when you have uh, an appetite, whatever it might be that needs to be filled, and, and you're not exactly sure if, I, if the way I'm going to fill it brings honor and glory to God or not. I've, I've always heard this saying or this acronym called HALT. Before you do anything, HALT. And the HALT is, first of all, uh, hunger. Don't, before you do anything, you shouldn't get too hungry. You don't make good decisions when you've been not eating for a while, when your body's out of sorts. And also, you shouldn't be too angry. We, most of the times, we don't make good decisions when we're very angry, do we? We let our emotions take over. Also, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get too alone. Get in contact with other friends, Christians. Let them talk to you. 
speaking to your lives. And also then finally, don't get too tired because we usually don't make great decisions when we're too tired. I look at this list and I say, Jesus must not have seen this before he, went, before he met the devil. I look at this list and I say, Jesus had to be very tired. 40 days and 40 nights. He had to be very lonely. He'd been out there alone. And the Bible tells us that he was hungry. He was very hungry. Now it doesn't say he was angry and I, don't, I had no reason to think he was angry, but three out of four is getting close. And so finally, after 40 days, 40 nights of being hungry, of being lonely, of being tired, Satan shows up. Satan shows up in verse three says this. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now it doesn't say how Satan showed up. Was he the serpent that showed up to Eve? Was he in some kind of bodily form? Or did he show up like he usually shows up for you and me, that little voice that we hear. That nudging to, to do something that we shouldn't do. But regardless of how he looks, he comes up and he says, if, if you are the son of God. Four verses earlier, five verses earlier. God had made the statement, hadn't he? You are my son. And so this isn't so much if you are, maybe a better translation is since you are. Since you're God's son, since you got all this power, since you can do anything you want to do, go ahead and do it. In fact, turn these stones into bread. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? I was here for Pastor Eric's sermon last week. I didn't hear any command, don't turn stones into bread. <laughs> Unless that's the 11th command that got lost or something. I don't know. In fact, Jesus, when he performed his first public miracle, what did he do? He turned water into wine, right? What's the difference? We know maybe one of Jesus' most popular miracles was taking a little bit of bread and, and, some, and, some, and some fish and, and multiplying it and multiplying it and feeding 5,000 people. So Jesus didn't have against anything against making bread. But all Satan was asking him to do was take your powers. Take that spirit of God that's on you and use it to fulfill your own appetite, your own desires. Provide for yourself. Jesus, take matters into your own hands, is what he was asking. And so Jesus responded in verse 4 with a passage from ancient scriptures from Deuteronomy. It says this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's the first temptation. So what's going on here? What's happening? I've always heard and been in many sermons and Sunday school classes studying these temptations before. And it's always been told to me, really, you know, you notice in these, in these temptations, every time Jesus responds, he responds with Scripture. 
And so what it tells us is we need to learn, read the Bible. We need to memorize the Bible. And we need to be able to respond when Satan comes at us. And that's all true and that's good. And we need to read the Bible. We need to memorize the Bible. Because how are you going to know what's wrong if you don't know what's right? But there's more going on here than that. This is a challenge from Satan. It's a challenge. And he starts right off with the challenge of if you are the son of God. Moments or days or very soon after God had proclaimed, you are my son. It's a challenge not only to Jesus, but it's a challenge to the father. And Jesus and his response, he's, he's really saying, I've seen this act before, Satan. I know what you're up to. I know who you are. I know what you're trying to do. And I know who I am. And I know what I need to do. And you're not going to pull your old tricks on me. Think back if you would. Food has always been a trick of Satan, right? The Garden of Eden. Oh, look at that food. Look at that fruit on that tree. Look how good it is. Appealing to the flesh. Appealing to the appetite. But what was behind that? Behind that was, is God really who he says he is? And are you who you really say he is? Eve. You know, you could be like him. And so for Eve, God, instead of, instead of becoming a father, God became a rival. And I want to be like him. Jesus is saying, I know what I'm here for. I know what I'm here for. And I'm not going to satisfy my desire, my craving, my hunger, my appetite I'm not going to sacrifice short-term pleasure at the expense of disobeying the word of God and at the expense of the cost it's going to bring. I just wonder if Eugene Robinson had thought about the cost of his actions. I wonder if he'd thought about what God had said about him. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. What just came from the mouth of God to Jesus? You are my son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. When you come to Christ and you say, Father, I, I give my life. I want to become wholly devoted. I want to become a child of the king. What does he say to you? Welcome. You're my child. I love you. And I'm so pleased you came. And he says, those are the words and that's who your father is. And so he is, he is challenging Jesus and he's saying, this is an issue of fatherhood. This is an issue of fatherhood. Is your father really trustworthy? Is your father really good? Will your God really provide for you? Can you count on him? You know, as a father, probably the two of the biggest duties, the, over, the overarching duties of a father, at least it seems like down through the ages, has been to protect, right, and to provide. We want to protect our families and we want to provide for our families. And Satan is coming in and saying, is God going to provide for you? You know your good father, the God who loves you so much, brought you out here and didn't even bring a meal for you? 
<laughs> he, didn't, he didn't so much as bring a, a lunch with a couple fish and bread. Where is God's provision? When's it going to happen? Take matters into your own hand. Take matters into your own hand. Do it. Take the powers that God has given you to serve others. Take the powers that God has given you to live a holy life and to, and to, and to bring the gospel message and use it to satisfy your own desires. And Jesus says, no, no. I heard my father. I heard that he loves me. I heard that I'm his child. I heard that he's pleased with me. And I know when God called me here and he sent me out here without food, he will provide. But I will not eat until he provides. I will not sin against God. I will not do that by, 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 by being so concerned about with my own desires, my own needs, my own challenges. I know who you are, Satan. I know what you're up to. But I know who I am. And I know where I'm going and what my job to do is. God is our Father. And he will provide. And when we have these urges and needs and desires that we all have, when we have these appetites that are God-given but sometimes get a little bit out of control, Sometimes through addiction, they get a lot out of control. And that can, addiction can be from anything from food to drugs to pornography to relationships, whatever that may be. When we, when we realize, no, that is not how God wants me to fulfill my position with him. That's not what God has called us to. As I read through scripture, God has called me to fill my needs, my desires with my relationship with my father, the one who provides for me. Mark Twain, you've probably heard of Mark Twain. He wrote this, and I, I, I understand it totally. He says, there's a charm about the forbidden that makes it unspeakably desirable. There's a charm. And you know who puts the charm in charm? It's the Satan. Satan puts this charm in those things that we know is not ours. It's not the proper way to fulfill this need. It's not the proper way to fill that appetite. But Satan makes it look so good. So good. We all face temptation. We all face temptation. And the, the temptation that we face comes at our weakest point. When Satan knows our weakest point, when he knows the appetite that is our, our, our struggle area, he attacks and he attacks hard. Some people, some people think that once you're a Christian, this is no big deal. <laughs> some people think that once you become a Christian, you don't have temptations. Wow. Not so. Nonsense. Was Jesus Christ a Christian? <laughs> Jesus Christ had been filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit had rested upon him. Took him out in the wilderness, still filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, obeying the Spirit. And the temptation came hard. And it came at right then, his weakest point, his hunger. And said, fill your need in a way that you should not be filling your need. And Jesus stood up and said, no. God will fill my need when it's time for God to fill my need. I'm concerned there's a perception in Christians that the temptations 
don't come or <laughs> the temptations lessen over time. Now Satan cranks it up. When he knows we're getting close to God, Satan cranks it up in our weak spots. There's a man, pastor named Russell Moore, writer, who wrote a book called Tempted and Tried. And he talks about this a little bit. And, and sometimes you just can't say anything better than the author says. So I want to read this paragraph. He says this, sometimes we actually empower Satan by the way we speak of Christian conversion. We highlight the testimony of the ex-alcoholic who says, since I met Jesus, I never wanted another drink. Now that happens sometimes. And we should give thanks to God's power here. But this liberation is no more miraculous Indeed, in some ways less so than the testimony of the repentant drunk who says, every time I hear a click of the ice in the glass, I tremble with desire. But God is faithful in keeping me sober. The temptations don't necessarily go away. Our appetites are still there. And there are things that maybe we have struggled with and will continue to struggle with. But God is faithful. He goes on and says this, you are not what you want. You are not what you desire. You are not what you crave. You are who you are, and that's defined by the word of God. God said, the word of God says, you are my son, my child. It might be that God frees your appetite from whatever it's drawn toward, but usually he enables you to fight it. It might go on for 40 days, for 40 years, or a lifetime. That's all right. There must be room, listen to this, there must be room then in our churches for a genuine bearing of one another's burdens when it comes to appetites. Pretending that appetites are instantly nullified by conversion is a rejection of what God has told us. We are still in the war zone. Satan is still after us. And I love the fact that the church needs to be a place where we can come together with our hurts that's why we have Celebrate Recovery. Not every, you, 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 you're allowed to come to Celebrate Recovery if you're a Christian. In fact, you probably need to come to Celebrate Recovery for a Christian because we still desire, we still have these appetites, we still have these things that are difficult to control in our lives. And when we come together, we support each other and we love each other. We care for each other in our weaknesses, in our difficulties in our hungers, in our thirsts. And we have an example of Jesus Christ who said, don't listen to that, that Satan. He's always up to his old tricks. He's always up to his old tricks. Bite this, eat this, take that. Satisfy yourself that way. No, find your satisfaction in what Jesus Christ says about you. Who you are. Who you are. Hebrews 14, 4.15 says, he has been tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. Jesus Christ went through the very same struggles you're going through. But he came through it without sin. That's our example. Someone who walks by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, says, Satan, get away from me. I don't, I don't want to hear that. That's, that's, that's old news. Victory can be won. It can be won. You know, Jesus was asked to turn these rocks into bread. 
Bread was pretty much synonymous with Jesus through the years. He was born in Bethlehem, the home of bread, the house of bread. Later, he turned bread into more bread. In fact, after doing that, the crowds came up to him and said, Jesus, Jesus, we, we want to follow you. And Jesus says, you're only following me because I give you bread. <laughs> the only reason you're after me is because I'm, I'm feeding you. Sometimes Some of you mothers probably feel that way with your kids sometimes. <laughs> you're only after me because I feed you. And they says, no, 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 we're not there. But, but you know what? It's really cool, these miracles you do. If you, if you could do another miracle, we would believe in you. In fact, if you would do what, what Moses did, you know that manna from the sky, that bread stuff? If you could pull that one off, that would be really neat. You find this in John chapter 6. And Jesus responded by them, to them in John 6. He says this, Verily, verily, I tell, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you bread from heaven but as my father. My father's your provider. It wasn't Moses. What do you think, Moses is making man up here? It's God. He's our provider. He gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. And they says, sir, give us this bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Verse 35, whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. You see, Jesus didn't need that bread. <laughs> His father was a provider. And he'll provide in our struggles, in our temptations. And he says, not only that, I am the bread of life. The whole thing started off with this call of Jesus, um, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. You know, that only was, that's only been, that's only recorded twice in the scriptures. Once, the first time is in the temptations. The second time we see, if you're the Son of God, was when he's hanging on the cross. And the crowds were crawling out. Hey, if you're the Son of God, come down. Take the easy way out. Get rid of the pain. In fact, you know, the greatest desire in life, isn't it for life, to live? Save yourself. And I can, I, I can just, those, those, there have been faces that were calling that out, but for Jesus, he knew the voice. That voice was Satan. Get down from there. Save yourself. The same voice he'd heard in the desert. And Jesus says, no, I'm here. I'm the bread of life, and I've come to save you. He'd said before that in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread, bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This morning as we close the service, I'm going to ask our ushers who are passing out the bread to come forward and start distributing it. Hold the bread as it's given to you. But we want to we just close by remembering this, this bread. This bread that Jesus would refuse to use for himself and yet became. In fact, on the night before his crucifixion, he said, this bread is my body broken for you. 
And the cup as he passed it, this is my blood of the blood of the new covenant given for you. It's that bread, it's that wine that we take, the drink that we take, and remember our good God. God is good. God is good. And he provides for us. And he loves us. And he cares for us. And he is our provider. Whatever your need is, whatever you're struggling with, I know what it's like to struggle with physical and and, and other appetites. We all do. We're human. God gave us those. We also live in a sinful world and Satan wants to attack us. But God is our provider. Lean on what he has to say. Not, you are not what you desire. You are what God says you are. You are his son. You are loved. And through that, we can resist the same way Jesus did, knowing the long term. Hang on to the bread. As it's passed out, we'll take together and then they'll pass out the cups and we'll take together after that. But let's worship the Lord together. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Let us take and eat together.
This is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Take and drink together.
So as we go, what did we learn? Well, first of all, if, if Satan will attack the Savior of the world, he will attack anybody. He will attack us at our weakest point. The appetite, the desire that we struggled with maybe for years. But we are not what we desire. We are who God says he is. We are. We are children of God. We are loved. And he's pleased when we lean on him. When we look to him as being our provider. And don't try to do it on our own. Go this week in that knowledge and serve the Lord who loves you and cares for you, is trustworthy and provides for each one of us. As you go, of course, offering boxes there at the back, we thank you for your uh, generous giving and support of Friends Church, for your cars to let us know you're here and your prayer requests. We appreciate that. And as you go, Go ready to share the word of God, the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the one who loves us with others that you meet this week. Bring him with you next week as we worship and praise together. You're dismissed.